Dear Church Podcast. Hey, what are some of the, uh, the worst Christian pickup lines you've heard? Worst Christian pickup lines. Worst, worst Christian pickup lines. Oh, there's a Calvinist one going around at the moment. You know, what yeah. are the Calvinist? I can't remember how it goes. You know, what are the Calvinists? Your, your oh, name goes, must be Grace says, Is your name Grace because you're irresistible? Yeah. <laughs> you familiar with those? There's like a whole line of it's them. Not, it's not a Christian one, but my, my boys taught me one. If you're like in a restaurant, you pick a sugar packet up. And then you drop it next to a girl and pick it up and say, excuse me, did you drop your name badge? Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Are you boys all single? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that, but I resisted. But <laughs> Actually, they're not. So, yes, oh, okay. Did this... they use that line, though? Or No, I don't think so. That's actually more of Zach's line, and he's too young anyway. So. Okay. Zach's, Zach's biggest problem is he's too much like me. Is that how we want to start? I was gonna say, son on the. Yeah, probably not one. Now I know. Now I know why kids. Solomon had seven hundred wives because he never met you. Wow, wow, that's a yeah. good one. This one's. I'm not reading that one. I put the stud in Bible study. <laughs> Baby, you're just like water, except Jesus turned you into fine. <laughs> no, the best way to start. The best way to start a um, thing about dating and stuff is is the culture of Bible college where a date becomes sitting next to someone in chapel. Oh, my goodness. That's always. Yeah. And then there were, there's always those those um, where it was like you sat next to somebody in chapel and then like she starts showing up at the end of all your classes and, you yeah. know, lo- low key stalking you and. Those were always awkward. I went to a really small Bible college, man. There was nothing low key about the stalking. That's how you lay your claim, man, is you sit next to somebody in chapel. That scares all the I threw a guy in the lake one time. That's that's a fascinating story. Wait, what? Oh yeah. We need to we need to drill into that a little bit more. Wait, so this is in Bible college, Tom, and you threw a guy in a lake over a woman? Yes, I did. Oh wow. (laughs) Tell us. Tell us this story now. Well, I started dating this girl, and I was confiding in my friend about how it was going. And in the process, he got interested in her. And um, so he asked her out. So she went out on like three or four dates with him and didn't tell me, and he didn't tell me. So when I found out, um, it was at a youth activity we were having at the at the college, and uh, there was hardly anybody there. It was just our Bible club. We were using the college gym. So I had a buddy of mine tell him I wanted to talk to him by the lake. So I was out on the edge of the pier. So he came out to the pier and he's acting all concerned. He's going to listen to me. He's, you know, let me pour my heart out again. And I just let him get all the way to the end of the pier. And then I just pushed, pushed him in the lake. <laughs> and you could see comprehension dawning on him as he's flying off the end of the dock. Oh, my word. Wow. He, he, he earned that one. Yeah. Wow. I, I think I think the podcast is over. I think we've we've now settled who is the alpha male among us. Um, who's going to write the letter to this one, guys? I mean, <laughs> That's crazy. Does that go so, into the category of things not to do when you're dating or things to do? I mean, does it sound like Tom regrets it oh, at all? No, I, w- I would do it over again. I mean, yeah, no, he earned it. It wasn't that she was dating someone else because we hadn't agreed to go steady or be boyfriend, girlfriend, however you term that. But it wasn't that. I wasn't mad at her. I was mad at him. Well, Bible college, <clears throat> like you said, you know, as soon as you sit some ne- sit next to someone in chapel or at the dining hall, you're practically married. 
So just, uh, you know, you're pretty much set up for life. That's awkward. It's still fresh yeah. for me. You guys are too old to remember. It's still fresh. No, for me. we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> My wife and I, little did we know, we had both liked each other and we had a class. Where I went to Bible college, there were four modular buildings and they would exit onto the same sidewalk. And I was in one, she was in the other that were apart from one another. So when we exited our classroom, we'd walk toward each other and meet on that sidewalk. And I would kind of wait around looking out the window to see when she'd walk out. And she was doing the same for me. Little did we know, because we always wanted to like happen upon those discussions because I was always pretty shy when it came to to girls and such. So, yeah. Did you guys also go to school with your with your wives? You know, I mean, no. Yes. I think Steve and I went to the same college as our wives, but Martin and Tommy did not. No. Martin, no. Martin, you, you you have a line about how your wife came home with a souvenir or something. Yeah, she was on a uh, missions trip to to England, and um, I when I first saw her, she was in the kitchen washing dishes, and it was love at first sight. Um, and her parents. <laughs> that's not going to get twisted at all, is it? No. It's nothing to do with her washing dishes. I mean, that's that's you know, it's not that at all. Um, but yeah, her parents had told her, you know, pick up a souvenir and here I am. Oh, wow. <laughs> are they, are they, were they happy with that souvenir? That's, that's the question. I like to think so. You like to, that's a good answer. <laughs> Probably after they moved to the States, they were happy with that souvenir. Yeah, there you go. Maybe she should have got the spoon that said England on the handle. Yeah. Yep. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dating in Bible college was just weird though. I mean, honestly, there's no, there's no way to put it other than that. It's, it's not normal. And I remember in college, actually our college president at the time, he said that he goes, this is not real life. And you all need to, know, to need to know this. And I was like, Oh, well, that's, it's not real life. Story but it's- about Bob Jones jr. And they were having chapel and then the lights cut out or something. And maybe somebody can like, check it for me but he said something like if you kissed your girlfriend when the lights were out you need to repent and if you didn't you're a fool and um yeah i've heard that oh yeah very real the kind of thing that he would have said (laughs) kind of a lose-lose yeah yeah apocryphal that's my that's what i think but yeah that's that's understandable i agree that college is not real life bible college is not real life but it's it's the life that you're in Right. And so in a sense, you, you, you have to adjust to that and, and account for that in the course of it. Um, oh, yeah. What are some what are some things that are like, you know, standard stereotypical about Bible college dating? I remember the six inch rule. I thought that was just in youth group. Nope. It was in college, too. Um, we had a, we had a teacher or two who would who would walk around behind the rows of people in chapel and just just make sure, you know, make sure there was at least a, a songbook between us, whatever. But, um, I'm familiar with that whole culture and everything growing up in England. I mean, I, um, I'm not going to go into any stories. I didn't do anything like too horrendous, but it was, it was a culture where young teens would slow dance together and kiss. And I mean, it was just, well, I do remember as a very young, you know, seven or eight year old, um, I went to a school for a short time called Fir Tree School, and I had two girlfriends. And um, wow, what a player! Well. 
Well, they were best friends, and so they found out pretty quick. Was that um, a morning school? Like that's you know that's the culture I kind of grew up in. And so my first time visiting Bob Jones University, we went up to the um, I think they called it the date the dating room or the dating hall or something, or maybe it wasn't quite that obvious. Dating parlor. Dating yes. parlor. Yes. And yes. Um, there's everybody like sat on sofas, staring into each other's eyes, staring into each other's eyes. And I was playing table tennis with a friend, and I remember like smacking the tennis the table tennis ball, and it flew between this couple. And they got so mad, they kind of looked up at me and yeah, it's, so that was my first experience with that. And it did kind of strike me as very, very odd. I came to appreciate it later, but from the outset, it was weird. I think for me, it was the, it was the very regimented unspoken rules that, you know, first you do is you ask them out and then you say, I like you. And then you say, will you be my girlfriend? And then you say, I love you. And then you propose and then you get married six months later and it has to go in that order. And if you don't go in that order, it's because you're a fool and you're not following counsel. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I didn't do it in that order. There has been a shift in amongst our movement of way from dating and to courtship. But I have found that a lot of times that word courtship is just substitute for dating. Um, although I do know people that very much so and and to a degree myself are kind of opposed to the whole idea of dating game and, you know, jumping from person to person. And, you know, because I, I kind of view it and people that hold that position that that's almost preparing you more for divorce than for a lifelong commitment. I think there's a. I think somewhere there's a balance of, you know, not playing the dating game and then totally like there's some there's in some places where it's like a surprise that a couple all of a sudden is engaged like no one even knew because, you know, the dating game is is so um, Mm -hmm. taboo, I guess. But do you do you think that Bible colleges themselves as institutions, though, don't you think they're in a bad spot? And I, I'm I'm not trying to suggest that we have a that we you know feel sorry for the institutions. What I'm saying is this: that parents and churches send their children there. They send their young people there. Um, they go there and they expect there to be a certain standard. So the Bible College enforces and incorporates rules. Then there's the unspoken system that they've decided: if everybody would just follow the system, it would it would help us not get in trouble with home church pastors and parents. Um, and for that reason, you know, I, there's a few things like that we kind of make fun of. And I remember making fun of them when I was in Bible college, not not disrespectfully, but just kind of jokingly that the six inch rule and the the modesty standards and all that. But there also has to be not not necessarily the modesty standards, but there also has to be something there because it is a Bible college. It's not a secular university. I mean, the fact of the matter is none of us four went to secular university, but we know people who have and uh, it's uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's wicked. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, you know, for the record, none of the four, is, four of us have ever run a college. And it's, right. it, it's relatively easy to take pot shots at colleges in this situation and these types of discussions when we've never actually, you know, been an administrator and dealt with that mm-hmm. with that that side of things. But the answer to to, you know, the the criticism that goes toward. Bible colleges and not just Bible colleges, but even the wider evangelical discussion about the the backlash against purity culture. Um, and that's their term. But that I, I don't think the answer to that, well, I'm quite sure the answer to that is not a de-emphasis on purity. Mm-hmm. 
um, just like the answer to the increasingly immodest way that people in America dress is not to refuse to discuss modesty. It's not going into the ditch on the other side of the road. And I think that's what the backlash against purity culture has done. It's going to the ditch on the other side of the road and refusing to talk about it, which hurts well, young people. Yes. And I think that's that's something that is worth discussing, at least for a few moments here, is that the the purity culture has been under attack. I, I don't agree with the artist. I don't agree with the song. Uh, but there was a um, contemporary Christian artist. Um, I think that's what he, his genre was. Uh, who wrote a wrote a song and it was like a parody song on modest is hottest. You know, you've heard that old saying before. Uh, and he got such backlash for that. Like he pulled the video down and apologized. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and make sure I don't want to throw him under the bus. But he's, you know, he put this out and it was literally meant to be a joke, but it was also kind of the, you know, played on the idea of a daughter comes walking out and the dad's like, now go back in your room and change. You're not going out like that. Uh, and man, he got absolutely toasted online because he was suggesting that modesty was a positive thing. But the reality is, is that's where we are. That's where people are now, now landing is like, let's not discuss modesty. As a matter of fact, any discussion of modesty is legalism, because if you discuss modesty, then that means that your purity culture and purity culture is, and this is, this isn't, these are not my words, but people say purity culture is rape culture. Yeah, and that's that's a horrendous phrase. I mean, yes. I don't disagree that manipulation has been done under the guise of preaching purity, and people have been, you know, hurt and and mentally, you know, verbally abused in the process of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, as we say so often in this podcast, um, the, the the balance is so essential to land to place the emphasis where God places the emphasis, and you see from one end of the Bible to the other an emphasis on purity, not just for women but for men, for both. But you see that emphasis literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we can't just give up talking about that because somehow somebody talked about it the wrong way in the past or somebody thinks somebody talked about it the wrong way in the past. I And I, I'll, I'll, I'll just push back on the whole anti-purity culture in the sense that there – there has to be a dual responsibility in the in the arena of modesty where it's like probably in the past um, there has been a little um, misemphasis on the fact that men are responsible for where they put their eyes. Although I think that's maybe overplayed a little bit, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it's never right to provoke somebody to sin. So, there should be a responsibility on modesty not to provoke. And then um, there's the responsibility then not to look. Mm -hmm. I appreciate my pastor always had that balance. You know, they, he might, and he and his, his wife would have always been very um, strict on modesty and they would have upheld standards that a lot of people today would, would fight against. And, and even back then they did. Um, but he would also say a great deal about, uh, you know, Job making a covenant with his eyes that he wouldn't look upon a maiden. Um, and he'd always say that, you know, you're responsible for the second look. And so that yeah. there's so much out there. Yeah, you're that, responsible for, you know, you, you can't avoid seeing it's just there. And, and I find it less so where I'm living now in the States, but, um, you know, you can't always control what you see for the first time, but you are responsible for whether you take that second look. And so I think it is a dual responsibility of modesty and also self-control. I agree with that 100% because if you were to, 
look at what the present culture is pushing is that the, obviously the Me Too movement and all of these things. And what's happened with that, in my opinion, is that there have been some horrendous things done um, by men, uh, by women, whatever. But predominantly, we're, you know, the focus is put on the men. In essence, what I'm saying is that that dual responsibility is where the Bible kind of emphasizes. I mean, you have you have obvious responsibility that lies with the man, but you have obvious examples in Proverbs of the seductive woman. And so there has to be an understanding that I can cause my brother to stumble, uh, whether you're a male or a female, and there has to be the embracing of personal responsibility there. I think part of this whole this whole push against the purity culture is part and parcel of the wrong application of the concept of grace, meaning that we're not under any concept of law in the Old Testament. And I'm, I, I don't want to go too far afield here, but the whole idea that all that matters is the heart. Someone I know happens to be writing blog series right now about standards, and so it's on my mind. Um, but you know, it, just the very idea that I would dare to write about something like that, or this is not a podcast on modesty, but that the four of us would spend a few minutes discussing that aspect of how it touches on dating and purity. Um, so many people will will viscerally react to the fact we would even dare to talk about that because that has nothing to do with Christianity. It's all about your heart. And that's wrong. It has to do with our appearance, too. It has to do with our body, too. It has to do with all of those sorts of things. One of the difficulties in what we're talking about here is is our culture at large. And there have been certainly in in Christian culture, and I use that somewhat loosely, there's like this prevailing sentiment that that's growing. And I think it's it's problematic and that somehow we can't acknowledge that men and women are different. Um, on so many levels, and especially in this one, you know, it, it, it's very apparent that men are visual. You can look at that statistically, and men are wired different um, in this area. And to me, it's like even talking about this, I somewhat, you know, I, I don't walk on eggshells in the sense of I'm not ashamed of what I know the Bible says, but it's mm -hmm. like if you almost say anything that can be construed you get accused of some of the worst things in the world. Yeah, that's right. Well, all of the studies, they show that, like you said, men are visual, primarily visual. Women can be as well. And that's why you do get women putting up pictures of Dwayne Johnson and all kinds of things going on. I mean, it's there is something about the visual element that provokes, but men are much more so. And the studies show that. And uh, again, I don't want to go into too much of the research because – we haven't put out a kind of a PG warning for this podcast, but there are studies that show that men are much more prone to sexual sin. And the only places that I could see that disagreed with that are the opinion websites. So you look at the direct studies that are done, the research that's done, and men are different to women. And it's got to do with testosterone levels and all kinds of other th things that go on. Um, but, you know, men... They are responsible for their actions, but we need help. And I think to deny that is to deny the way that God has made us. Well, right. I think the, and thing the fact of the matter is you can't anymore speak in generalizations because someone finds some little small exception to that. And when we speak generally, we're not saying there's never exceptions, but the fact of the matter is um, men and women are different and we can see that principle actually even played out in the Bible in the sense that 
you know, men over and over again are warned about the strange woman. And there's really not warnings to women about the strange man. And I actually use that principle in our marriage ministry to to teach on um, men and women understanding the differences in the fact that men are so wired um, in the in that arena where, you know, a stranger is a danger to them and women are so wired that they don't want a stranger. They want to know somebody. They want to, you know, they want to connect on a level different than, than physical. But I think the solution is you've got to emphasize holiness to, to both genders, right? It's not, and this is where the the pushback against the purity culture, I think does have a little bit of a valid ground because it seemed so much, if you go back to the nineties, which of course I was in college in the nineties. So that's when you're paying attention. So much of it was directed toward women as in you have to do this and you have to do this. And it's like, it seemed like much less was directed toward the men. Look, men and women are both sinners. We both have hearts mm-hmm. that are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And we both need to have Christ save us from the inside out and work his grace from the inside out into, into the rest of our lives. And so I think the solution is not to stop emphasizing purity and or modesty or anything else of that uh, that, that touches on that. It is to to do it biblically and and to deal with it from, from an aspect of, of letting Christ and the Holy Spirit bring sanctification through and to your life. Right. Do you guys, I mean, and maybe maybe you can't answer this question, but do you guys, when counseling, though, don't you tend to be harder on the man? I counsel I with my wife. So we, we do marital counseling together specifically to help balance that sort of thing. Okay. So I think we're hard on both. That's good. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, so when I when I counsel, I find myself going to the guy saying, hey, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Um, and the reason why is because they do have to take, we do have to take responsibility for mm-hmm. our feelings, emotions, our, you know, whether or not we're going to linger uh, with our eyes, whether or not we're, you know, all mm-hmm. of those things. That's my call. Now, there are in the Bible examples that are very clear where men were put in bad position by women deliberately. You know, I think Potiphar's wife, uh, I think of the examples in Proverbs and all those things. So we know it's a shared responsibility. I just tend to be, because I'm a man, I tend to be more focused on that, that, uh, that arena, I guess. And I think men respond to that, that pressure, you know, they want it direct. They want to know exactly what to do and not do. And so I think that's, that is a part of it as well. But, and I know this, what we're talking about here is only a small part of the whole dating Mm -hmm. culture that, you know, we'll, we'll move on in a minute, but just one more thing to show that we're different. Um, There was a study done in 2014 and it showed that 26% of female characters in the top 100 films appeared nude. Now, if men and women were equally, you know, provoked by that kind of thing, you would expect the same thing to happen with men, yet only 9% of male characters appeared partially nude. And so it's just not handled the same. Right. That's so the same to, evident that there's a difference. Right. Which, yeah. is, which and, was and your again, point, Brad which is right. Yeah. So it's not making excuses. It's not shifting responsibility one way or another. It's just saying there is a difference and the visual element is a part of it. Now, and like I said, there's a lot more to date and I know we want to cover, but that's something I think is helpful well, but to the be reason aware of. We, the reason we brought this up is because there are, you know, there are institutions that have guidelines and rules that deal with physical touch and all that kind of thing and dating and purity and dating. And, and that's the thing. So getting back on that line of thinking, 
we want to, you know, encourage young people today. And there's a, there's a couple of different approaches that people are taking. Um, I remember, I remember well my experience. Uh, I'm glad that the dating days are over. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, I'm thankful that I'm married. Uh, but yeah, the the reality what was your biggest is, mistake is, in dating. My biggest mistake in dating. I'm not going to tell you my biggest mistake in dating. What's your biggest mistake in dating, <laughs> jerk? <laughs> How about we each tell everybody else's biggest mistake in dating? How about that? <laughs> I don't want to tell mine either. No, no, that's, we're not going back there. Come on. Uh, I, I made plenty so, of mistakes, I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> I think I've made more mistakes since. Okay, fair I enough. Can't think of any mistakes I made, so you know, there's that. Oh, wow. And yeah, in our next episode, we're going to remind in our wives to share the mistakes that we made. <laughs> oh, there will be blood all over the floor. No, no, really, though, I, I you know, I, I started dating my wife. She's actually the only girl I seriously dated. Okay, so going back to Bible college, there's dating and then there's going out on a date. Those are two different things. And uh, I did, you know, go out on a few dates and I had some some friends and whatnot. But uh, my wife's the only one that I seriously dated. Uh, and I remember it was an odd beginning because the first thing she ever said to me that I remember was keep walking. Uh, and that is, uh, that was what drew me to her. I said, you're not going to tell me to keep walking, you know? Uh, but, <laughs> but the rest is history. That's uh, great. And, and then we, we did, uh, we did date for a, um, well, we dated for like two months before I told her I loved her. So I broke all the rules. Two months. Absolutely. We knew each other longer than that though. What? Like I was, 10 weeks? No, no, we actually, I tried to date her a year earlier and she wasn't having any of it. And then uh, a year later, why she said, keep walking. Huh? That's, uh, it was, it was not exactly that context, but we'll just leave those, leave those details lie. Uh, but uh, then a year later I convinced her that, you know, it was a good idea to, it was uh, the will of be- God. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one of those terms. What's that and- Calvinist pickup line? Is your name grace? Cause you're irresistible. Oh, well, Martin, you're the only Calvinist here. So wait, no, you're not. I'm sorry. I well, he's from England, which makes him almost from, Calvinist. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, you know, being from England, he's got to be didn't Calvinist. Spurgeon preaching his pulpit or something. Like we've heard this a thousand <laughs> times. So he's. I, I, I'm not going to name drop. I'm not going to name drop, but, you know. Finally. Finally. <laughs> but, but see, but my then wife, I, I did. Our experience was completely like, disconnected from Bible college because, of course, I yeah. was in England. And she was in South Carolina at the time. So, you know, I was, I had a lot of pen pals, a lot of girls that I wrote to. And obviously there was interest there. I didn't write to any guys, you know, it was all girls. Um, That's reassuring. And, we appreciate you clearing that up. And I think, uh, well, just to show you that my intent, my intent wasn't that I just uh, like to write to people in right. foreign countries. Um, and, you know, wh- when it got serious, I bought them a copy of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. So I gave out, you know, four or five copies of that. That was kind of a test. And then one of the, the, one of the girls, her dad, um, he took exception to the fact that I was writing to a number of different girls at the same time. And he probably was very heavy into the, you know, exclusivity of a relationship. So he told me that I would need to stop writing to all the other girls if I was writing to his daughter. So I stopped writing to his daughter and kept writing to all the other girls. Um, but then when, when I met my wife, nobody had to tell me. I just stopped having an interest in anybody else. And, um, you know, I just focused on her. So two observations. One, Martin, you are a player. And two, you must be 90 years old. That's all I'm saying. So anyway. What? From your perspective. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Yeah. So I, I dated in college. Oh, well, writing letters. No, well, there were some letters. But um, 
the, you know, there's emails as well. So like, it wasn't, wasn't quite that bad. Don't, don't age me that much. I think you sent him by carrier pigeon. Yeah, I, we didn't have, we didn't have email when I dated. So that's how old I am. Yeah. I'm, like we've said before, Brother Brudnick, we're very grateful. Social media was not around when we were younger. Oh, my soul. Yeah. yeah. I dated Tell in college, but I did not meet my wife in college. I graduated from college single and I started a church as a single man. And about a year after I started my church, a neighboring pastor said, uh, do you want to go down to Mount Sentinel Revival Grounds and hear Brother House preach? And I said, no, I probably already heard the sermon. And he said, <clears throat> well, there's a girl that knows you from college and she's interested in you. And I said, OK, I'll come. Mm-mm. So I went down and um, I'd write. I'd, I was correct. I'd already heard the sermon before. But more disturbing, when I got down there to the to the camp, I discovered that the girl that was interested in me, I knew her in college. I was not interested in her college. I was not any more interested now that I was a single pastor. Um, but I met my wife that day. She was there that day. And that's that's why the Lord took me down there. And it was just that's precious. awesome. You know, my experience and my experience leads a little bit into maybe more of a serious discussion is I, I, I was never like girls have cootie kind of things. I mean, since kindergarten, I liked girls and they obviously liked me. So, uh, (laughs) sorry, I had to just throw that in there, but so, you know, and, and I was like, I, I just like dated and, you know, I got engaged and had a broken engagement. And so from my perspective, you know, when I met my wife, she was, she was everything I needed. And I thank God for her and looking back on it because I, I wasn't really steered in the best direction. You know, there's scars from my past and things. And when you use that word pure, what does pure mean? I mean, if, if, you're talking about pure gold. How many elements do you have? You have one. You have, and that's really to me what purity is, and that's what I've learned and tried to teach my boys. And 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 I, I want to hit a little bit about what our children sometimes pick up from us. But let me just park on that idea of purity, and that is, I think it's awesome if you can save yourself for one person in every manner, in every way, like emotionally, physically mentally, you know, brother Russ, you've been given a great gift in the fact that you didn't get serious. You probably never told anyone you love them apart from your wife, you know, as far as in that romantic sense. And you have a gift of purity that is awesome because the other model is give your heart to somebody, tell them you love them, get emotionally involved, maybe even slightly physically involved. And then all the emotional things that happen in there, and then you break up and if, if that goes on in a youth group and then you have you, you have all kinds of tension and problems and you're really conditioning yourself ultimately for divorce rather than commitment to one person. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to push back on that um, because I had serious relationships before I met my wife and I don't think it's caused me to come any closer to divorce at all. I think that's a little bit of a canard and I don't see how you can give children or young adults, the opportunity to choose for themselves without running them running the risk of developing a relationship that doesn't work short of the marriage altar. The reason people get divorced is not because they had other relationships prior to other decent, good, pure relationships prior to getting married. The reason people get divorced is because they don't follow what God gives us that helps us to be good husbands and good wives. Um, I, I- 
I understand that pushback and, and I think there's some validity to that. I, I'm just saying um, it certainly does model, hey, there's problems, you know, I'm uh, just going mean, to. I, I do agree that because I've seen churches where from my perception, in, dating was pushed in the youth group. And I think that's unwise to push dating in high school. I've seen oh, yeah. colleges where, and I can understand a little bit more in a college sense, but but I, I do think it's unwise to push those sorts of things. But I don't see how you can, outside of going back to the strict courtship model, which is essentially where a parent chooses a spouse for their child, which I don't think is right for a number of reasons, I don't see how you can control whether you're ever going to get quote unquote hurt or not. That's part well, yeah, of this and, way you kind of I find. Understand what what I'm saying isn't that you know someone picks your wife for you and the, and the person's not involved. I mean, brother Russ was involved in what happened with him, but he, in his scenario, he modeled purity in the sense that he waited for the one, you know, and you know I suppose we could say he just got lucky because um, I don't know if you were driven by that principle. Brother Russ, I don't know, but the fact of the matter is, I think it's it's best to work toward, you know, knowing a lot of, you know, young people, young men that aren't married yet to talk to every girl. And the biblical principle is treat the younger as sisters. So, you know, you treat all the girls the same. You don't get exclusive. You don't. And you learn the way the girls are like. And then as God works in your heart, you kind of see that one that stands out. and. If that doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. And I don't think you're going to end up getting divorced, but, you know, work toward the idea of purity. Well, I think that's maybe where we see the two ditches. You know, one ditch is that you are so exclusive that there's only ever one. And, and again, in my case, I never, I didn't have any serious relationships, hardly any at all until I met my wife. Um, but there is kind of maybe a danger on the one side of being so guarded that you end up with some of the worst extremes of the purity culture because you emphasize the wrong thing, even trying to get the right end. And maybe the other ditch is that you're just flippant and you just, you know, you, you just bounce from one relationship to another relationship right. and you end up with that, that, that one Christmas it's played at Christmas, but it's not a Christmas song. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day, you gave it away this year. Right. right to save right, me right. from whatever. I'll give it to right. someone special. And it's like, really? Already? You're ready to give your heart away again? Right. And I hate the song, and I hate what's kind of bound up in it. So right. I think I there's, and I hate that I know the words and could repeat them. Um, but. Welcome, you know, those, welcome those to Dear Church extremes. Podcast, by the way. Dear everyone. Church Podcast does not necessarily endorse any songs mentioned <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that disclaimer. Well, to answer your question, Steve, yeah, I, I was driven by the thought that I wanted I wanted God's will. I wanted someone who I could serve with. I wanted someone who, um, you know, who I could be a, a, a ministry and life partner with. And I remember I did, I did, I was talking to one other girl before my wife. We didn't date seriously, never got to that point. Um, there was maybe the desire to go to that point. And I remember sharing my heart with her one night about this is what I believe God wants me to do. And I, I don't even remember what's, what prompted that. I just remember I was very, very sincere. And that was probably the best thing I could have done because from that point on, that relationship did not go forward and no criticism to that individual. It was just, we weren't going the same direction. We weren't going in the same, in the same direction in a lot of ways. Um, and so with, with my wife, you know, with Cheryl, we, we do, we, we think alike. We've in the sense of 
both ministry, child rearing, the home in so many ways. Uh, plus, she's in just an incredible, wonderful person to have to put up with me. But my my desire to pursue a relationship with her, um, I say this in all sincerity, was was born out of prayer and out of my walk with the Lord. So that that does answer that question, I think. So I want to explore a little bit how we can help young people that are listening to this with the concept of finding God's will, right? If you're a, mm-hmm. if, if you're a woman or a man, how do you find who God's will is for you to marry? But before we go that, that direction, I think it's worth discussing for a moment. Is there just one person that's God's will for you? Do you understand uh, what I mean when I ask that? It, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd like to know what you guys think about that. I think my <laughs> wife is the one. Um, and I think it's, I think she's the one that God had has and had for me. But I know people differ with that. Um, I, I I don't know where you find scripture to support either case, except that the examples in the Old Testament show that God had a specific person for Isaac. I think you um, got to be really careful using. Yeah, that's. Genesis I agree with you. As normal, I agree with you. I agree with you, and that's that's my that's why I say I don't know where you really find scripture that specifically speaks to that. So but I, doesn't doesn't you know our whole podcast on individual soul liberty and and our embrace of free will and that sort of thing doesn't that rule out there being one specific per- person that God made for you? And because because we know that marriage and we know this from counseling, the great so many times the great issue is one party wants to reconcile or grow closer in a marriage and the other doesn't. And you cannot mm-hmm. make someone else do something. So if you backtrack that all the way to dating, if there's supposedly one person God designed for you to marry, if their will is not to follow the Lord, does that mean you're out of the will of God for the rest of your life because you married person B? That doesn't make any biblical or right. logical theological well, or logical sense to me. And to further further specify that that hypothetical, you know, if person A and person B both share biblical qualities, in other words, they're a believer, their walk with the Lord is strong, they're pure, uh, they have a desire to serve the Lord, et cetera, et cetera, they meet all the biblical criteria, you know, then then that that is that where you're kind of headed, Tom, is like Sure. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of like, you know, it's God's will for me to pastor what church? Well, I do believe there's some indication it's this church, but the idea is it's his will for me to pastor. I know the will of God for my life is to be married to Mandy. I know that mm-hmm. because I took her hand and I took her heart on that platform in Uniontown, Pennsylvania in December of 1999. That's how I know that's the will of God for me. And well, that's I one thing I was going to say. The thing we know for sure is that once you are married, that is the one. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's the wrong question, perhaps. You know, is there just one? I think the right question is, does God have a will for who you are to marry? And you want to find that will and, uh, you know, obey God in that. And I think once you have made a commitment and a decision, like Steve was just saying, um, at that point, you know, that is the one for you. And so maybe the question itself is almost like saying, can God, you know, create something too heavy for him to pick up? It, it, it kind of isn't the right way to phrase it. I understand, and I respect that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a great point, that it's not about whether there is the one, but it is find God's will. Amen. And so, how, so how do we go, go ahead, Brother Russ? I was going to say, well, how do we do that? I was but. just going to say, for the sake of our listeners, if we have Bible college students or young people, unmarried, single people listening, you don't have to be a Bible college student. I guess we probably narrowed that maybe a little more than we should have, but... You're, we're asking four married men to <laughs> to say whether or not there was one uh, or not. And so, you know, 
that's a hard question for us to answer. I think we have to think of it from their perspective and from the perspective of someone who is single, who is searching and who is asking God, you know, God guide me, God show me. I think in that realm, back in that time, when I was, uh, when I was looking and I was searching and I was praying for God's will, then I really think that I was looking for one. I, I think I was looking for God to guide me to a specific person. So it's hard for me to say that, oh, you know, there, there were 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 girls out there that met the criteria and any of them would, be, would have been a good option. When I wasn't praying for that, I was like, yeah, but God, show me, show me where. I mean, I, for instance, I'm talking to a young man right now. He's got a lot of different options going out of Bible college uh, as far as where he's going to work. He's got all kinds of people looking at him. He's got a great potential, a lot of gifts, et cetera. And I told him, I said, I think that's a good thing. So now you get to ask God to show you which one. And to give you peace about that particular place. So I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but that's the comparison that's in my mind. I do think that we need to ask God that while there may be potential candidates for a man or a male or a female, by the way, there also is one. There is someone that God wants you to be with that meets the criteria for the broader sense, but also the more specific sense of the individual. Does that make sense? Because God does have a will for our lives. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree with with what you're saying. And for my kids, it's very simple. You marry who I tell you to marry. No, I'm just kidding. I don't mean that. But um, there, you know, God has a will, and it's something for them to follow. So, what are some practical things that we can teach our children, and the young people in our churches, and the precious young people that want to follow the Lord with all their heart that happen to listen to our podcast? What are some practical pointers we can give them about? How do you do that? I think one is that they need to learn how to they need to learn how to interact with the opposite sex appropriately without being exclusive, without being physical. And they need to learn true friendships. That's very hard to do. Like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, whether in Bible college or anywhere else, that if you, you know, talk to a girl, you're practically married to them. Well, put all that out of your mind and recognize that some of that's just the way that it is in the in the environment that you're at right now. And, and recognize what you have to do. And what you have to do is you have to learn how to interact appropriately. Beyond that, I think pray, you know, pray that God, what Amen. we pray for our kids. I know that, Amen. I know that you guys pray for your kids. And one of our key prayer requests daily is that God would help them to marry a godly spouse according to his will and in his time, because I think God's will is important. And I think timing is important and they're both Amen. kind of the same thing. But I, those are a couple of things that I would say to someone who's 20, 25 years old, um, you know, in that age range, that young adult age range who's going, OK, how do I how do I seek? And, and if you don't, you know, beyond that, that you're going to have personal preferences and likes and dislikes and things that uh, you're like, eh, yes, no, maybe, whatever. But pray that God leads you in the pathway into the pathway of someone who could potentially be that person. Amen. You know, and. We are addressing, in a sense, how, how, you know, some advice to young people. But I'll I'll say to the parents listening, um, to me in this area, an important thing is to recognize that you have got to share with your kids your vision and help them in this process. God kind of opened my eyes to that through my own boys. Is I would I would talk in general terms as far as what I wanted for them, and even what I talked about on here earlier about purity and saving yourself for one. Um, I, I realized later through talking with them that 
They didn't really know how that was going to practically work out and how I could help them through that and, and, and guide them in this arena in, in, you know, and, and I will say on the young person side, involve your parents, you know, Amen. your parents Amen. have wisdom. And if they put up a red flag on a person, listen to that because Amen. your parents know and they see and to you, they're out of touch and they don't know what it's like to have young love, but they do. And if they say that's not a really good guy or that's not a really good girl, you got to believe them. And to me, the scary point is once that heart gets attached, uh, young people can just ignore all reason and everything their parents are saying when I'm, I'm just telling you, we've all sat in our offices with couples that can't stand each other a year or two after getting married because they think, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. And I've seen people that married against their parents' wishes and it's just mm-hmm. not not a good thing. Amen. Yep. Yeah, I think there is some direct advice we can give to young people, which I know it would would get into. But I think it was maybe in one of Dave Young's episodes um, where he described that one of the the, the great things you, we can do for our children in helping them look for a future husband or wife is to model what a good husband and wife should be. So what they see in our marriages, our children should look at and say, "That's what I want." And I think that maybe does more than what we directly say to them is what we exemplify in front of them. I will say this too, Steve, that I agree with you on the parent thing, right? Because if you have godly parents who have a heart for you to marry right, um, whether or not you answer the question we asked earlier, which is, is there only one, you know, that God has prepared for you, uh, whether or not you answer that with yes or no, I can tell you this, your parents probably know if there's someone who's not right for you. And yeah. there, there are, <laughs> there will be uh, potential mates that that qualify in that category. That that's not going to work. That's not going to be good. That's not going to help you. It's not going to help you grow in the Lord. Um, and I think those the criteria for that is largely spiritual. Uh, my parents let me make my own choices as far as who I dated. They they didn't try to control that aspect of me. Um, but the day that I got married, my dad looked at me and he said, "Son, we believe you're making the right choice." And that's that means wonderful. so much to me. That's wonderful. That's awesome. I think, Brother Brodnick, your point about parents being involved in teaching their children is phenomenal. Um, I I respect my parents enormously, and I've said that publicly and privately, um, and I mean that with all of my heart. But other than my father preaching in the course of his regular preaching and what he taught me in that, they did not give me much personal counsel about dating, about how to approach it. I sat down with my two older teenagers. This is a couple of years ago. Um, and we took a whole year in homeschool Bible class, about 10 minutes in each class. So this is what cumulatively, I don't know. Anyway, but I went through 60 things with them, which is probably too much. But I went through a lot of things with them about just some very practical um I refuse to use the word pragmatic for pragmatic reasons, but very practical things that they could and should consider in dating. Uh, I did not want to control them. I do not to this day want to control them, but I do want to teach them and give them some wisdom. Wisdom is how. Here's how you go about, you know, discovering God's will for your life in this situation. These are some things to do, some things not to do. And I think it's a phenomenal thing you mentioned, Brother Brodnack, for parents to involve themselves in teaching their children those things. Yeah, it definitely will help them because that was the mistake 
I made and and I'm in the process of still correcting because my boys, none of my boys are married, but they just opened up that they didn't know and they were confused by the things I would say and I needed to be more specific and I've tried to get more specific. And I'll tell you, I mean, if you also, if you're listening and you don't come from Baptist blue bloods, you know, where it's like, you know, your family grew up in church and your dad's a preacher. I, I definitely am not from a Baptist blue blood family. And my mom, you know, was a single parent and she got saved later in life. And I was raised in a good church, but my mom didn't give me a ton of direction in that area. Um, and I, I didn't really approach it super spiritual. I, I always joke that my dating, my dating standard was I wanted to find the prettiest girl that wasn't a psycho. And, um, <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, well, you, um, you succeeded but, there. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And I was, uh, I was, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I had other things that I was pl- that, that were at play, but you know, and I wanted God's will and I got, man, I, I married up. My wife is awesome. And she is definitely the, um, the, the, the help that I need in my life. She meets that definitely. I remember being in college and being frustrated with how so many people around me approach dating. Um, in my mind, I, I would, I would say it like this, like the girls would run around campus with their hand held out saying somebody put a ring on it, you know, and guys were like, you know, I got to get married to go into the ministry. So let me find one of these women. Let's move forward in life. And I felt it was so short sighted. And I remember one college preacher coming to chapel and preaching about the importance of thinking about, you know, as you're dating, is this person I'm dating going to be a good father or a good mother? And I'm hollering amen. And I'm like hollering amen all by myself. Like this is an amening group, right? Hiles Anderson group. And the chapel's deathly quiet except for me. And I'm hollering amen because it was like, nobody's thinking about that aspect. They're just thinking about ministry and about getting married and checking this off their list and accomplishing this. And you know, there's, you know, looking at what kind of a parent that person is going to be, what kind of a provider that person is going to be, uh, what their family is like, what their relationship with their family is like, what their character level is. You know, it's important that you want to kiss them, but all those other things are important too. What do you do if you end up, you know, wanting to go into ministry or whatever? You go to Bible college and you expect that's where you're going to meet your spouse, and then that doesn't happen and you're single. <laughs> you Tom. do it anyway. <laughs> you follow the Lord anyway. And, and right. you know, following the Lord, I don't want to go too far down the trail of my own specifics, but you, you follow the Lord. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think it's just a phenomenal passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm. When you give yourself to follow everything God says for you to do, and every day, He will lead you. It, it, it's just how that he designed it to work. You are not going to miss the will of God, whether it is your place of service or the person you're going to spend your life with. You're not going to miss the will of God if you're following him with all of your heart in everything he knows you want. he wants you to do today. When you do that, you will eventually look back and say that wonderful song, Jesus led me all the way. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's a fascinating conversation. I hope it's been helpful to those who are listening today. So. Amen. Of course it is, because our conversations are always fascinating and helpful. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> oh, boy. How young Amen. would you start educating your children on dating? Would you say there are generalities that they learn from, you know, a very young age, getting more specific as they grow older? Um, yeah, you, you date your wife. Oh, yeah, right. 
Which I think I think that's where you start. Showing. Now I know you're getting more into the mechanics of it. I think that's a teenage thing, but I think you start them so young that they see they see your love and affection for your spouse. I think, I think that's their training. Start, I think if you start trying to teach them practically too young, you just frustrate them because you're giving them all kinds of information on something they can't do or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, fifteen year olds shouldn't date. I mean, that's that's my opinion, but I think it's a good opinion. And well, it's I, a case I, by case too, because some of some of your kids are going to be. Some of them are going to develop at different rates and speeds than others, you know. So I think you have to observe. Yeah, they're going to develop at different rates, but life is life. By the way, spoken, stages. spoken by by someone who doesn't have teenagers yet, so I understand that. <laughs> right. The stages of life are not necessarily different in the sense of, you know, you shouldn't be getting so serious in high school that, you know, you want to get married. It's just not the right time in your life. I don't care how mature you are. It's not the right time in your life to get married between your junior and senior of high school. But some of it... Doesn't some of it come down to, you know, you get a 14, 15, 16 year old daughter or something and they're at church youth club. And if there are other families that don't look at it the same way and a boy approaches your daughter or a daughter approaches your son, don't you need to kind of educate them knowing that there are others who are, are going to take things differently? Sure. sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, yeah. and I like, you know, Cheryl's approach of, you know, keep walking. Keep <laughs> that's, that's something I'll be uh, educating my daughters in. Um, Hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, the, uh, that, that's good. I, I appreciate that, Brother Martin. I'm going to tell my daughter that from now on, every boy she talks to, just say, keep walking. When, when my kids started going to youth conference on their own, my two oldest are two years apart. And then my next one is seven years younger. And so the older two are, you know, I've done a lot of things together. And my older son is a black belt in Taekwondo. And I used to tell him, listen, when you go to youth conference, if Emma talks to any boy, just kick him right in the nose. Just don't even ask questions. Just kick him right in the nose and move on. I've told my daughters how to throw a punch. Yeah, it's. I think a good rule of thumb that I, I teach my boys is like, if you're not ready to be married and to be responsible enough to 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 support a wife and to live like an adult, then. Why do you even need to venture into having a serious relationship with someone? I, that's a good rule of thumb for me. And that's why high school, you know, quote dating and, you know, and some churches even have the culture where they like have activities where it's about, you know, dating and stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, you shouldn't date unless you're planning to be married in the sense of this goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier um, about not being seriously involved too often before you get married. You know, if you're not preparing for marriage, then what are you dating for? And if you're not dating to get married, what are you, what are you, uh, what are you getting married for? Yeah. What are you dating for? Martin, you got some wisdom over there before we wrap it up? I don't know that I do, but just thinking in terms of specifics that we would give to someone, if, if one of our young men or young women came to us this week and said, um, you know, give me guidance on searching for the right future spouse, you know, what would we say to them? And I think, you know, I would tell them, pursue God and see who is, who's alongside you. Um, you know, make God the focus of your life, not looking for a husband or wife, but searching after God. And that's going to thin the herd pretty quickly in sure. terms of who else is serious about the Lord. And then that, that really goes a long way towards narrowing down your options. I would tell them to email me and I'll give them my list of 60. I taught my kids. <laughs> And I'll throw one last thing in there, too. And I, I think it's very important that you get to the place where you don't need someone. Amen. Um, Amen. 
And that's where I finally had to get to. And that's how God used my broken engagement. Because like I said, from my youth, girls didn't scare me, but it was like I needed one. And then when that happened, it was like, no, I don't need one. And that's when I found the best one ever is it wasn't some need. I needed God. And I got close to God at that point in my life. And then God brought the right one in that time. Well, it's been a good discussion and I hope it's been a blessing to our listeners. And again, if, if someone has some feedback, we certainly want to hear it. We appreciate all the perspective of things we've forgotten or should have said. It helps us to grow. Brother Russ, why don't you take and write the letter for today's podcast discussion? Will do. Dear Church, one of the objectives we strive for in this podcast is to have conversations that generally are not being held elsewhere with a spirit of both grace and truth. This conversation has not been perfect. We know this, nor has it been comprehensive because we know there's more that could be said. Some may even say it better, but for the sake of our youth and for the young adults in our churches, we should at least be having the conversation. Truth is the second greatest decision of individual's life is who they choose to marry. The future homes of our children depend on this decision. Thus it must be made with prayer and by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The future ministry of a couple can be destroyed before they even begin if we get this decision wrong. And children and future generations will suffer because of the mistakes made by their parents or grandparents. It's a big deal. Young adults, be encouraged today. God has someone for you. Follow God every day of your life. Set up appropriate guardrails in your life. Have godly friendships. Listen to godly counsel. And as Paul told Timothy, keep thyself pure. Your servants, Tom Brennan, Steve Brudneck, Martin Wickens, and Stephen Russ.